Hi, I'm Wilson Gall. And I'm Ellie Roark. This is the Fledgling Theories Podcast. Every month we talk about a recent piece of bird research. You can follow us on Twitter at FledgeCast. So this month we're talking about uh, bird biodiversity assessments in temperate forest, the value of point count versus acoustic monitoring protocols by Brian Klingbale and Michael Willig. Um, and this is an article that's, that's looking at a new way to do bird monitoring, which is um, using audio recorders to detect birds. And so they're comparing point counts, which is kind of the current standard for bird monitoring, to this um, audio recording protocol. And the audio recorder is just like it's a little microphone with a little, I mean, you can think of a tape recorder basically, or a little, you know, your, your voice recorder on your cell phone or something. It's just a microphone with a little memory chip. And you put it out there and you can leave it outside in a little weatherproof housing for months or however long you want. And it just records sounds. Yeah, exactly. And so this isn't uh, actually a super new article hot off the presses. It's from 2015. But the topic and the idea of monitoring birds with these audio recorders is actually a relatively hot topic in bird research right now. And then it's growing very fast. Yeah, it's growing very fast. Um, these audio recorders that Wilson was just describing, they're programmable these days. So it's not like you turn it on and leave it out in the woods and you have you know thousands of hours of recording. You can program it to turn on at specific times, record at specific intervals. Um, and they're relatively robust, they're small, they're getting cheaper. And so this is kind of a growing area of research and it's growing in accessibility to all kinds of, of people from the home hobbyist to the uh, university researcher. So what this article is wondering is if you're using these automated recorders that you just leave out there, um, are you getting the same information or as much as information as you would get from a point count? They're basically, I mean, it's sort of asking the question, can you replace point counts with these recorders? So when a researcher conducts a point count, that basically just involves uh, observing birds for a, a set time period, let's say 10 minutes, but you can do it for five or for 15 or whatever. And you write down all the birds you hear and see in that particular period at that particular location, standing still. Audio recorders can't see anything, obviously. And so uh, the question is, how do audio recorders only picking up auditory cues from birds compare to point counts where you might get the audio and visual cues from birds. And if you want the, like if you want to stop listening now and you just want the, the final version of this article, if you're thinking about using audio recorders uh, and maybe replacing point counts, if you're doing research of this, like, like of this, if you're doing this type of research yourself, the answer from this article is go for it. Like they're, they're not exactly the same, but they're awfully close and um, good enough, I would say. Yeah. So that's, that's the short answer is like, they're very close. They're, they're doing almost as good a job. Uh, the longer answer we'll get into, there are some differences. Um, I don't think they're huge differences, but they're definitely uh, a little bit systematic in some ways. And um, so we'll sort of talk a little bit about what those differences are and why they would matter. And are there advantages or disadvantages to the ARUs or the point counts? Yeah. So for this particular study, they did simultaneous 
data collection. So there was somebody standing next to an audio recorder and doing a point count while the audio recorder was recording. And then they compared uh, the birds they detected on each of those surveys. And then they also um, looked more broadly at the, the whole survey season. This is a breeding season survey in, yep. in forest, like American Northeast forest. It was Connecticut or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was in Connecticut. Interior forest. So the breeding season is something like April or May through, you know, June or July is when you would normally do surveys for breeding season. Yep. So they also looked at the full breeding season and compared what the audio recorders detected over the course of the season to what point counters detected. Not necessarily at the same time and place, but just in general over the full scale of the season. So this is an important distinction about two really different kinds of questions that they were asking in this study. One is a direct comparison of what birds does a point count detect and what birds does a recorder at the exact same place and time detect. And that's sort of a head-to-head -head comparison of the different methods um, in terms of how many and what different kinds of birds they sort of are able to reveal. Which is fine, like that's all well and good to sort of get a baseline understanding of how comparable these methods are, but really that's not what's of interest if you're doing research. Like nobody really cares what's there in this exact 10 minute period. Right. You're studying this 10 minute period, you're serving that 10 minute period because you want to get insight about the entire bird community over some period of time. So the question you're really interested in studying ultimately is all of the birds there over the entire two or three month breeding season. Right. So their second comparison gets at that a little better because they're saying, all right, we're not going to, this is not just a head to head comparison of a 10 minute period. Let's just use point counts and study the entire breeding season in whatever way we would with point counts. And then let's use ARUs and study the entire breeding season. I'm sorry, ARUs uh, means automated autonomous recording units or something like that. We'll try not to use that term because it's yeah. a terrible acronym. But it just <laughs> refers to these audio recorders that can be programmed yeah. by a computer. So so we study point counts, use point counts to study the breeding season. Then we'll use the recorders to study the breeding season in whatever may, way sort of makes sense for recorders. And here we're actually getting an estimate of the thing that we're interested in the real world, which is the bird community over the whole season. And we'll get that estimate from two different methods and compare it. Yeah, exactly. So so these authors were looking at, at two different things to compare the recorders and the uh, in-person point counts. Basically trying to figure out if the number of species detected by each was roughly similar. And then if the composition of species, as in which species were detected by each method, if those were similar. And basically they were. I mean, I don't think we have to, we don't have to go through the results sort of piece by piece. If you're, I think the link to this article is on the, on our uh, podcast webpage. So if you want to go look at the articles, you can. There's, there are a couple tables here which show you some of the species and some of the numbers. But the overall story is that the number of species detected was generally similar. Now there was a difference in sort of one of the ways they break this down because they're comparing, you know, the, the point by point 10-minute against 10-minute comparisons, and then they're also comparing the whole season versus the whole season, whatever. So mostly they're pretty much the same with a few differences in some of these little subcategories. Right. Um, in terms of, and, and that's in terms of the total number of birds. And it's like, they got like 
I don't know, 40 birds over the whole season or something. Not 40 individuals, but 40, 40 species. 40 different species, yeah. Over the whole season. And that's basically the same no matter which way you, no matter which way they, they did it here. Yep. And then they're also comparing um, the identity of the species to see, you know, which species was it, not just how many, but which ones were detected. And did that differ between the two methods? And they did find a couple of species that were only detected by one method, but not the other. Um, and I actually thought these species were a little bit funny to me. Um, <laughs> so full disclosure, I also do, like, this is uh, basically the research that I'm currently doing. <laughs> Very similar to the research that I'm currently doing. Um, but I'm working on comparing these audio recorders to point counts during migration um, rather than during the breeding season like these folks did. And some of the species that they found with point counts but not the audio recorder were great crested flycatcher, yellow-bellied sapsucker, yellow-throated vireo. Um, and those are a little surprising to me because, you know, yellow-bellied sapsucker in particular is very vocal and all over my ARU recordings, <laughs> frankly. <laughs> Um, and of course, you know, I'm studying in a different region, but um, they're very vocal birds. So it's surprising to me that they didn't show up on the recorders, the audio recorders for these folks. Well, they're very, I mean, I think where you're studying them, Ellie, you're studying during migration season. And they're very vocal, but they're also coming through in big, large groups. And That's They're close true. together and they're chattering and yelling at each other. It's possible. I don't, I'm not, sh I'm trying to sort of picture one on the breeding grounds. I don't think I've ever gotten, seen that many during breeding season. So I guess I don't know enough about how they behave during the breeding season. It's possible that they're much more quiet once they get to the breeding ground, but I don't know. The great crested flycatcher, I'm kind of not surprised about because they have a, they do a song, they make a sound, but yep. it's pretty quiet. You have to be pretty close to hear it. And even then, um, in my experience, it's easy to miss it. It's kind of a short, quiet sound. Oh, interesting. Do you yeah. disagree? I'm not sure that's how I'd characterize it, but um, but all my breeding experience with these birds is in the Midwest and not on the East Coast, so it's possible that the populations are slightly different, and so, you know, I'm not going to make any <laughs> definitive claims about these the vocalizations of these birds. And then the, uh, the three species that they found only with audio recorders and not with point counts were common raven, gray catbird, and winter wren which is also an interesting little collection of birds that, frankly, I have had many visual detections of um, in all the areas where I've done bird surveys. So I'm surprised that they were only detected with the ARUs. But I guess the, the big overall point here is not sort of digging into the individual bird species, but it's just that no matter which method you use, you're going to miss some of the birds. Yep. We know that. That's, that's well known. You're just not going to get everything that's there, especially things that are rare or you know, sort of not many of them there, uh, you're just not going to get them. And so with any method, you sort of assume that there are some things that you never detect that are actually there. Yeah. And then there are statistical methods to try to account for that. So there are methods, say, to estimate species richness, where you say, okay, I counted 38 species, but you look for patterns in how you found those species in the data. You look for patterns in the data and you say, even though I only counted 38, I can estimate that there are actually, you know, 41 or 42 or whatever. There are some equations that you can plug your data into that will sort of estimate how many are actually there 
that takes account of the ones that were there but that you didn't see. Right. And that's a really good point, Wilson, because the probability of getting a species on any given point count or even on a whole season of point counts, there is there is a, a probability that you will get them. It's not like a guarantee that you get them if they're there. And um, that's true even if we just remove audio recorders from the question. it's That's true with point counts, the uh, number of species that you get, the, the composition of species that you get on point counts might depend very much on the observer who's doing the point counts. And so you might find variation between seasons if you have different field workers doing the point counts for a particular project, you know, over a couple of years. And it varies based on the amount of time you spend looking to survey efforts. So one thing that you really try to standardize when you're doing some sort of monitoring like this is the survey effort or the amount of time that you spend searching. Right. Because basically the longer you look, the more stuff you're going to find. And so if you survey for 10 minutes, you'll find some number of bird species. If you survey for 15 minutes, you'll probably add one or two species. And if you survey for an hour, you'll add a few more species. And it just sort of goes on like that. Um, eventually, with a huge amount of survey effort, you might manage to actually find everything that's there. But it would take days and days and days of continuous surveying, maybe maybe even weeks and weeks. Right, and it's probably not the most efficient way to get a snapshot of the what the bird community looks like. Absolutely is not. Is to like scour it for every last bird. So aside from the sort of subset of birds that were detected by one method or the other, sort of randomly, basically, there was a more systematic difference. And that was that uh, they found that woodpeckers were detested were detected less frequently with the recorders than with the in-person point counts. And this is an important difference because this really might be a difference in what aspects of the bird community you're able to survey with recorders versus the point counts. Yeah, although they did say that for, for whatever reason they decided not to identify woodpeckers by drum, either when listening to the recordings or when doing the point counts. Yeah, they were only using calls, sort of like vocalizations, um, you know, from the, from the windpipe, basically. Yep. Uh, and visual detections, but they weren't using, you know, the drum is when a woodpecker, like, bangs its bill against a tree or against something to make that noise, you know, the, the classic da 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 Yep, exactly. And so that might, so they did say in the paper that they used drums to, like, direct their attention during point counts. So if a woodpecker drummed, they would try to get a look at it, which might, that seems like that might account for some of that difference. Yeah, I found this a little odd because... Why would you, why on earth would you not use the drum to identify the species? I mean, the, the species do have distinctive drums, at least some of them. For hairy, the most part, yeah. Hairy and woodpecker, you can tell. Pileated woodpecker, you can tell. Hairy and downy woodpecker. I'm sorry, yeah. yeah. What did I say? Hairy and woodpecker. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> hairy and downy woodpeckers, you can tell apart by the drum. Um, pileateds and... I guess maybe I wouldn't know a yellow-bellied sapsucker drum off the top of my head. Oh, but... it's very obvious. It's like a okay. staccato separate. Yellow-bellied is the, probably the easiest to ID out of so, that whole group. So the point is you can identify them by the drum. Why would you not? That seems like sort of a weird artificial limitation to place on yourself, unless there's something we don't understand about the birds in their area. But um, anyway, my I mean, my assumption in in the work that you're working on, Ellie, we sort of went into that, and I thought, well, 
yellow-bellied sapsucker might be a species that's good to concentrate on because I think it's going to be really easy to get with the recorders because it's got such distinctive sounds. Right. And so far, I mean, I'm still in the process of, of listening or the early stages of analyzing my data, but yellow-bellied sapsuckers are very obvious on the recording because of their distinctive drum. So anyway, I feel that that systematic difference where they failed to detect the woodpeckers on a lot of their recordings, it could be that you can sort of fix that um, by coming up with a different method of how you're detecting them on the recordings. If you allow the drumming um, into your survey protocol on the recorders, maybe that difference will go away a little bit. Yeah. But nevertheless, um, I'm going to make the assertion that even if you figured out how to deal with the woodpeckers, these recorders are not going to capture all types of birds that live there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. There are going to be entire groups of birds that you're just never going to detect, or only very rarely. Right. For example, you're a sharp-shinned hawk flying overhead. You're just never going to get that on the recorder. Yeah, and, and raptors generally. So raptors and eagles, falcons, they make occasional noises. You can see them occasionally, but even, well, with a point count or a recorder, when you're standing deep in a forest, you're just not going to get those birds. Right. They don't vocalize regularly or reliably in the same way that little passerine species, little perching birds, vocalize very regularly during the breeding season. That's just the standard mode of operation. But I think that the important thing to understand is that that's not any different than the limitations that already exist with point counts. So I think as bird researchers, we sort of have in our heads point counts as a way to survey things. And we think, okay, well, we'll compare the recorders to point counts. Can we sort of replace point counts with recorders? But in fact, depending on what kind of birds you're studying, point counts aren't always what you do. We sort of take it as a given that if you want to study raptors during migration, you're not using point counts. You're sort of doing these hawk watch things where you sit out for hours and watch birds fly overhead. Or if you want to study owls, you're not doing it in the same kind of point counts where you study um, warblers, you go out at a different time of day, you go out at night, you sometimes play owl songs to try to get responses. So yep. we already have these differences in which types of birds we can detect with a method. Mm -hmm. And point counts have their own little subset of birds that they're able to survey. And I think it, because their point counts are used for so much, we sort of have in our heads that this is a set of birds that get surveyed together. Um, and it almost seems like a problem if, uh-oh, we're not getting some of those, we're not getting the woodpeckers, but really it's just more of the same. We're already surveying a subset of birds with point counts. It's just a slightly different subset maybe with the recorders. Yeah, that's true. And it, it's <clears throat> the recorders kind of introduce an opportunity to reimagine what surveys could look like to get the sense of a bird community. You know, you could have recorders recording five minute chunks every hour for an entire day and get, you know, survey through both the dawn and the dusk hours and overnight and, you know, end up getting kind of a, a bigger set of species than just, you know, diurnal point counts. Yeah, you could come closer to capturing the entire bird community. I mean, if you're going to study a, a place now. I feel like one of the first things you do is you kind of make the decision. Are we studying passerines or and sort of like day birds or are we studying owls? Right. And night birds. Um, or, you know, if you're working in, in wetlands, there's a whole different set of protocols for trying to get some of the wetland birds that don't sing as frequently. Yeah. 
And so you sort of make that decision very early on. You say, well, we don't have enough time to study the entire bird community. So which subset are we going to study? Yep. If we want to study owls, we go to our point counts at night. If we want to study warblers, we go to our point counts during the day. Yeah. Sometimes you have enough money and enough people and enough time that you can do a point count in the morning for warblers and one in the middle of the night for owls and you can study everything. But that's a lot of work. Yeah, and it's, it seems relatively rare. Like, you don't read too many studies that, that diversify in that way. No. But with these automated recorders, I think it would become very easy to do that. Yeah, I mean, that's what's cool and exciting to me about the recorders is that it allows you to dramatically expand the scope of, of your study in this way by just increasing the, the different kinds of birds in the community that you can survey. And it also could potentially allow you to expand the scale of your study because right now studies are constrained by having to move people to the places where the point counts are. But if you only had to do that once at the beginning of your survey season and once at the end to take your recorders down, suddenly you could have recorders spread off or spread out across a huge array, like a, just a huge space that you couldn't necessarily cover with people that had to go there daily to do the counts. So I think in this study, they had like a four hour survey window right after dawn in, in which they did their point counts and their recorder surveys. This is, this is common because a lot of the passerines sing most continuously right sort of around dawn, the dawn chorus it's called. Yep. And then as the day gets later, they kind of stop singing. So the best time to go hear as many different birds as possible is right after dawn. So you have this four hour window. So the way they did it, they did their 10 minute point count somewhere in that four hour window. Mm -hmm. So you get a 10 minute sample of the four hours. With their recorders though, what they did is they had the recorders run for the full four hours or whatever. And then they listened to two minute sections of that, but spaced out across the whole four hours for the same total amount of time. So they still got 10 minutes worth of listening from the recorders, same, same as they did with the point counts. But all of a sudden, instead of having to do those 10 minutes back to back, they're able to spread those 10 minutes out across the entire four hours. And that, I am certain, captures more different kinds of birds than you would with having to limit it all to 10 minutes. So even within your sort of four hour window, you can get better temporal coverage with the ARUs. Absolutely. And if you were to extend that beyond the four hour morning survey window, um, it'd be just as easy to extend that into the overnight or something. Yeah. And this survey was <clears throat> decided to limit the amount of time, the amount of audio recording that they analyzed to what they could listen to by ear. So like they, they um, when they collected all their recorders at the end of the season, they went back and, and like physically listened to all that data and, and wrote down the birds that they heard. But you can imagine that, that if there were reliable automated detection methods, if the computer could pick out and identify the birds that are vocalizing, you could increase your survey effort massively. You could even, in, yeah, I mean, you, you could analyze more minutes of recording. Right, exactly, like, because it just increases the efficiency of, of processing the, that data. I mean, and I think you could even increase it even if you're still listening by ear, because so in this comparison, they wanted to hold the survey effort constant between the two methods because right. we know that if you survey more time, you're going to get more things. Yeah. But when you actually get around to implementing this, you know, if someone's going to use recorders for a real study, 
you're not going to limit yourself in that way. You're going to sort of do the most you that, that you can do and use that those recorders in the best possible way. And during the point counts, you might in a morning, in a four-hour morning, depending on how spread out your sites are, you might survey four or maybe five different points in four hours. And the rest of your time is spent walking between points, or driving between driving points, between points yeah. um, all this sort of stuff. So if you're able to save all that time that you're not spending driving and walking around, if you still have the same amount of time that you can pay that field worker, basically, mm -hmm. but that field worker is now um, you know, sitting somewhere listening to recordings, you could actually, instead of listening to 40 or 50 minutes worth of recording, you could listen to four hours worth of recording in that time. Right. Um, for the same sort of effort on the part of the observer, um, the same sort of time spent. So you can actually, even if you didn't have a computer identifying the sounds and you're still at a person listening, I think you could put more time into it. Yeah, I think so too. Which is not to say that it will, that like recorders are coming to replace all field technicians, <laughs> you know, and, and there won't be any bird field work left. I don't think that's the situation at all. But um, I do think that that recorders represent an opportunity to expand the scope and scale of what we can note with bird surveys. Yeah, I think it, it will be much more efficient way to use field workers. You're still going to need people who are very good at identifying bird songs by sound. You're still going to need people who go out and set the recorders up and take them down every two months or whatever. Um, but you're going to be able to study a lot more sites. You know, one, one field technician, instead of being able to study 20 or 30 low, you know, points in a season is going to be able to do a lot more. One of the things that I think needs to happen next for these comparisons between recorders and point counts, I, I think that, uh, so this study was looking at sort of like eastern forest birds. There have been some other studies that do this, a similar comparison between point counts and recorders. And I would say on the whole, they're kind of finding about the same overall story, which is yeah. that these methods are a little bit interchangeable. There's some differences um, that you'll have to take account of, but but it's not like the recorders are horrifically worse. No. They're, they're going to be able to substitute for point counts in a lot of situations, a lot of habitats. Yeah, and that's the case. A lot of these studies have been done in many different habitats, and they seem to work pretty well across habitats. Um, Though I should note that one of the things they found in this paper was that the performance of the point counts and the recorders differed based on elevation, which is a little concerning. Like, they, they performed more similarly at some elevations and more differently at others. Which is bizarre. Yeah, I don't think this, these authors didn't quite know why that was yeah. because they didn't think there was anything real obvious about the bird communities that were different there. Right. Anyway, that's, that's sort of like a little hmm. You know, yeah, like I have to right. figure out what's going on there. <laughs> it gives you some pause. Um, but nevertheless, you're sort of going to be able to substitute the ARUs. I think what needs to happen next for the ARUs is someone needs to do a life cycle analysis. Because not only is this more efficient in terms of your field work time, it's going to be way more efficient in terms of cost and carbon emissions. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I've done some bird, bird point count field work, and you spend five or six hours a day driving around to collect 20 or 30 minutes worth of data. Yeah. It's it's a whole lot of driving and a whole lot of gasoline burned for not that much data. If you could drive around once at the beginning of the season and set up your recorders 
and then not have to do that drive every single day. Right, just do it to change batteries or whatever. I mean, that's a dramatic decrease in the amount of yeah. gas it would take anyway. And, I mean, you know, the bird monitoring is not one of the major contributions to climate change, you know, but no, nevertheless, we still have to think about it. We still have to wrap our minds around this and recognize that probably it's not realistic, um, given the state of climate change, to keep driving hours and hours and hours for months at a time to collect very small amounts of data. That's probably just not appropriate. And so someone needs to do a life cycle analysis and say, how much carbon emissions are you saving from driving around? On the other hand, these ARU, these recording units, use batteries and they use electronics. None of those things have zero environmental cost. There's yep. some sort of environmental cost to making these devices to begin with. Right. So you would need um, someone to do that comparison, say, how, what does it sort of cost in resources to make these units? And then how many resources do we save by not having to drive around every day? And it's going to be just like if you were evaluating the cost of putting solar panels on your home. It's going to be a little bit of cost in advance to set it up, to manufacture the units, to buy them, to put them out there. And then the question is, how long does it take before you sort of get that back in savings? Right. One, one season, two field seasons, three years. At some point, um, you will sort of have recouped the cost of manufacturing those devices, and you'll actually be saving environmental resources, I think, by monitoring with recorders instead of in person. Yeah, I suspect so too, provided that recorders are long-lived enough, which I think they are. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, that's exactly the kind of thing that will have to go into a life cycle analysis. How long are these going to last for? Yep. How frequently do you have to change the batteries? Yeah, how quickly is technology advancing so that your state-of-the-art recorder that you bought in 2009 is, you know, no longer recording at the quality of a recorder? you could buy in, in 2019. I yeah, don't know. It's, if you, it's true. If you buy a new set of recorders every other year because they're getting so much better, that's not gaining you much environmentally. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting question, but I think it's a relevant one for, for all of us who work in kind of conservation-oriented yeah, stuff yeah, to it's a no be brainer. thinking about. Yeah, like what? And I think, I mean, that's... It, that might be a master's project. It might be a little big for a master's project. You could get a start on it for a master's project, but that'd be that'd be a very cool study. That'd I think. be a really cool study. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, Ellie, did you uh, did you notice the worst thing about this paper? Its fatal flaw. No, what was it? There's not a single graph. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, they I mean, went heavily with tables yeah, for this paper. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan. I mean, no, I, it's well, a, Wilson loves a good graph. <laughs> well, the thing is, you can tell a story. Like, this is it's very simple data. They're using paired t-tests. It's not a complex story. Yeah. And so they present it in tables. But you have to read these numbers off the tables. And it's to, to be honest, it's not immediately clear what their results are from no, looking at the tables. No, it's not as exciting as if they had had... They could have done, like, box plots comparing each of their sites or whatever with you the could, two you, methods. You could just have one dot that's higher than the other dot yep. or two <laughs> dots at the same level. I mean, I th the story here is you put the two dots up there and that they're at the same level and you say, huh, the two methods are the same, you know? But, like, you should just always have a, a graphical representation of your results. It really... It's so much faster and more efficient way to convey your message. So.
That's my biggest complaint. With this <laughs> Put a graph in. They've got three pages of tables. Who wants to read three pages of numbers and tables? Not me. <laughs> well, what do you think, Ellie? Would you? So you you've read this study. They tested 60 different sites or something. I can't remember exactly how many. Yep. Um, they, in the introduction discussion, they list a couple other studies that have done similar things in different habitats. So say now you had a job with uh, the Department of Natural Resources or some NGO that was monitoring birds, and, and your boss came to you and said, I want you to set up a bird monitoring program. Um, we, just, we just bought this big tract of land and I want you to set up a bird monitoring program for the next 10 years to monitor the populations of birds as we sort of, you know, manage this habitat or whatever. Having read this paper and looked at some of those other references, would you set up that monitoring program planning to use point counts, having people drive around and do point counts, or do you think you'd feel comfortable setting it up using automated recorders? Ooh. <laughs> like, are we there yet? I... Man, I think we're close to being there. I think I would set up uh, a large majority of the monitoring hours with ARUs, especially if they were trying to get a sense of the breeding population in the uh, tract. But if the goal, I mean, it just, you know, always, always, it depends on what the specific questions are. If the goal is, is a community census, ARUs alone would not be sufficient, I don't think, to get a sense of every species. Because you miss some of the visual yeah, birds. Yeah, because you miss some of the visual birds, and they're just are birds that do not vocalize regularly enough to be reliably picked up by the ARUs, and so I think you would need to have supplemental point counts or, or raptor watch type um, surveys in there in order to, to like truly census the community. Yeah, in terms, if, if I were asked to do a a breeding passerine census, absolutely I would let the ARUs do it. <laughs> you think so? Yeah, oh, yeah. Ready to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've read enough of these studies now that I, I feel relatively convinced. There have been one or two studies that, that show a little bit of the opposite result, and I, I don't think those studies were particularly conclusive or persuasive, frankly. Um, and I, I'm, I'm pretty persuaded by all the studies in the other direction that show that that ARUs are a suitable replacement for, for point counts for birds that vocalize regularly. I think we're there. Well, if you want to look at it yourself, if you're thinking about using some recorders for your own study, um, or just for fun, setting one up in your backyard and seeing what's singing while you're still asleep at night. Yep. <laughs> um, you can take a look at this study. It's Bird Biodiversity Assessments in Temperate Forest, the Value of Point Count versus Acoustic Monitoring Protocols published in Peer J in 2015. We'll put the link to the article up on the website and you can flip through it, look at all of those tables with no graphs. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, in the text, they talk about exactly which recorders they use. They give some of the details about the microphones and the recording units and that stuff. Yeah, although I will say that they used one of the most expensive options on the market and there are plenty of options that are cheaper if you're looking for a backyard recorder. <laughs> Thanks for listening. The funding for my PhD position comes from a project funded by Science Foundation Ireland. 
I'm at University College Dublin in the Ecological Modeling Group of John Yearsley. If you want to find out more about our research in the Ecological Modeling Group, you can go to www.ucd.ie backslash ecomodel.